For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And good morning. Welcome into the program. Happy Thursday to you. Just beware if you haven't left the house yet. It's it's very foggy out, very dense fog. So make sure make sure that you uh, account for that, and you be careful while you're driving. Uh, so let me let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in the world right now. So this is bear with me here. I'm going to start off with, with, with a wrestling, a pro wrestling analogy. But right now we are in what is called WrestleMania season. It's the time where between the Royal Rumble event in January and WrestleMania in April, where the biggest storylines of the company for the year, the biggest feuds are built and executed. And when you have a big main event, a big headline match, for example, this year at WrestleMania, it's going to be Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns. And I'm not going to get into all the details about, you know, why this is a big deal, but it's a big deal. It is the, the two top people, the two people at the top of the company right now doing battle for the championship. It's actually multiple championships, but again, just bear with me for the analogy here. As part of WrestleMania season, they try to avoid having the two big stars get into the actual fight. It's a war of words leading up to the actual main event of WrestleMania because they don't want to give away the goods too early. They want to make sure that people are primed and ready to see the two sides do battle. In a winner-take-all fashion. And w- what they do is they, they, they get on the microphone and they talk about each other and they, they aggravate each other and they get under each other's skin. They each make their case as to why the other person doesn't deserve to be the champion and why they should be. And really it comes down to, am I better than you? And those are called promos, by the way. When when they get into those war of words, when they when they when they get on the microphone and and talk about themselves or talk about their opponent, it's called a promo. And there's a lot of promos that happen during WrestleMania season. 
Right now, we are in, I guess you could say, WrestleMania season for the November election. Although no one has announced yet, we're still a couple of months away from that. We're kind of in the beginnings of WrestleMania season for the New Bedford election. And what we are getting right now are promos. We are getting the war of words between New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell and the New Bedford City Council. You know, the if, if the election is the championship match to see who's going to have the ultimate power at the end of this election. And again, Mayor Mitchell mentioned yesterday on the program, nobody knows if he is running again, as he characterized it even himself. But, you know, I, I think he's got an idea one way or another. I think he's probably pl- plotted out a couple of paths for, paths for himself. But as of right now, nothing's formal. It's almost like, well, it's almost like when two sides try to antagonize each other into a WrestleMania match. And that's kind of what we're going through right now. And and the promos have begun. And the stipulation for the match has already been thrown out there. You know, typically when they're trying to build one of these matches especially if they're really trying to get the fans involved. Uh, you know, one of the one of the participants will, will suggest a style of match, a stipulation for the match, and then the other person will say, no, 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 we're not doing that. But in the end, that ends up happening anyway, and that's, that's, that's the type of battle that they do. So it might be a Hell in a Cell match. It might be a Last Man Standing match. It might be a Iron Man match where they just go for 60 minutes. All these different types of stipulations. Well, I think these ballot questions are the stipulations. And the city council threw those stipulations out there to get people to come out and vote in the election. And Mayor Mitchell said, no, no, I don't think I'm going to take those stipulations. When he when he put out his veto, yeah, when he vetoed all three questions yesterday and put out the accompanying letter. But in the end, those are going to be the stipulations, at least two of the three items, because they will have the supermajority they need to, to bypass that veto and get it on the ballot. So that's going to be, it's, it's going to happen for at least two of those three questions. So when we get into the big heavyweight battle in November, those stipulations are going to be on the line. But right now we are in the promo phase where the two sides are just going to keep running down the opponent. And that's what happened yesterday. Maybe my WrestleMania analogy is a little of a stretch. Maybe I've just got wrestling on the brain because we're so close to WrestleMania two weeks away. But I, I see a lot of the parallels there. I see a lot of those those correlations. If you read the mayor's letter, which you can at WBSM.com and on the app, we have it. We have the complete letter available for you. So the story is kind of a summarization, and I'm going to be honest with you. I was keeping it down the middle because I was reporting on this. There was a lot that I would have said about the tone of the letter that I can say to you now because, you know, this is a talk show. But in terms of when I was writing it up, I tried to play it down the middle. But let's let's just be honest. That was, we call that in wrestling, a smackdown. He was talking down to the council for the way that they pulled this off. Uh, he did not mince his words. He, he chose very carefully. As he said yesterday when he was here with us, and he was, he was more reserved in his comments yesterday, but still 
you know, pushing back then. But as he said, he was still finishing up the letter. And, you know, I, I think Chris McCarthy referred to it as, as, as a masterpiece last night on South Coast Tonight in terms of how he handled this. And we'll go through it. But, again, the story that I have at WBSM.com and on the app is a bit of a summary. And I got Council President Linda Morad's reaction to it. She had a chance to read it before she was about to go into a meeting, and she sent me a statement on it. And she did say that the council as a whole will have more to say on this in the coming days, which I assume would mean that there would be something that happens in tonight's city council meeting. And if not in tonight's city council meeting, perhaps she'll have something more to say on it uh, tomorrow when she joins us on the program with Ward 2 Councilor Maria Giesta. But the mayor didn't hold back. And if you want to read the entire letter, if you go about halfway through the article, there'll be a link right there to read the entire letter. Now, the statement that we have from Council President Morad, again, is the statement in its entirety. So, you know, uh, there's there's nothing else to click on to find out more from her. That's just all she had to say about that for now. But as she said, there will be more to say about it. What you will find, though, in, in the mayor's letter will be a PDF file that you can either open up and read or download and print out and check out for yourself. And I would recommend it. No matter how you feel about these questions, no matter how you feel about the issues, I would recommend going through the entire letter. It really gives you a sense of the mayor's frustration with the council. I think we've already sensed the council's frustration with the mayor. And this is where I I, I guess the smack talk is elevated to another level. So I'm going to go through just some of it for you because I know some of you are you know, maybe in the car or maybe in a place where you can't go and read the entire letter. And I don't want to just hang it over you like a teaser. And then you have to wait hours so you can actually get a chance to take a look at it. So the letter basically is him vetoing the three non-binding referendum questions on the November ballot. Uh, these, of course, are about whether or not to continue with the Community Preservation Act whether to take the mayor's four-year mayoral term and turn it back to two years, which was something that only was voted in in 2017, and whether the city should adopt some form of rent control. Uh, As he said with us yesterday, each of these measures, if ultimately enacted into law, would have profound implications for the operation of city government, the municipal budget, historic preservation, and open space, and the city's ability to facilitate the development of housing for those who need it. They raise complex policy questions for which the public would reasonably expect a thorough quantification of their likely impact, a review of relevant policy literature, the input of the administration, and a robust public debate of alternatives. The council failed to take any of these basic steps of legislative deliberation. As he pointed out, with, uh, pointed out with us yesterday, the items appeared on the agenda two days before the council's last regular meeting. The council gave no prior notice of their filing to his administration, which would have been responsible for, for implementing these changes. There had been no sign of public demand for action on any of the ideas underlying them, yet the council took up all three items at the first opportunity, skipping the committee process, whose very purpose is to allow a deliberate analysis of policy questions. So he's he's basically saying they skirted what should have been the regular process of just discussion about these matters. And he gets into exactly how much time was spent in in meetings on the record discussing these and uh, and saying, you know, the council still passed these items nearly unanimously. A fact that if nothing else begs questions about the council's compliance 
with the state's open meeting law. So we had the article a few weeks ago from Jack Spillane in which he questioned whether or not the city council's monthly dinners were in violation of open meeting law or could be in violation of open meeting law. Now, as you know, I said, I I believe that a group of adults can go out for dinner together, enjoy each other's company and not talk about work. I believe that that can happen. But it's starting to get to the point where people are questioning, is is there something going on? And, and, And maybe it's not those dinners where it's happening, but is something happening behind the scenes? Because there has been little discussion about these items. And, you know, they, the council can tell us all the time, and they do, we talk about these items in committee. That's why, you know, if you send your reporter to cover the, the full council meeting every other Thursday, you're not going to hear a lot of discussion and debate about that because we've already made the recommendation in the committee. But there was no committee discussion of these questions. And there was limited discussion in the full council meeting about implement, about putting them on the ballot. So maybe it's not the dinners where conversations are happening behind the scenes, but it's understandable why people are thinking that these conversations are happening somewhere other than in the purview of the public. And and the council is going to have to do something to relieve those fears, to alleviate people's suspicions about that, rather than just telling us that it's not the case. And this goes back to the mayor's letter here. In the days that followed, some councilors responded to public criticism of their votes by contending that no deliberation was necessary because the council's purpose was to place the questions before the voters. They maintain that the public should decide these matters on their own. The public will recognize this, however, as a cop-out. And he goes on to point out it's unrealistic to expect the public to spend the time digging into all of the questions, uh, you know, digging into the background of the questions, what the possible policy solutions might be, the risk and the reward of, of rent control, for example, and all of this. And, and as he says, in a Republican form of government, voters elect people to do that work for them. And instead to say, no, you know what, you decide. And, and, and Marcus pointed this out last night on South Coast Tonight. If you, if you just want to leave everything up to the, to the citizens to decide, what do we need a council for? We can just have a direct democracy where we put every policy decision that needs to be made on the ballot and let the people voice their vote on it. And that becomes, you know, that becomes the way that we set those policies. So the, the, the mayor gets even deeper into this. And I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to read all of it for you. I'm just kind of trying to read some of the parts where he, you know, seemed to be particularly um, strong in his language against the council. Let's just, I'm, uh, I'm going through some more of some of this. He talks about the CPA and the good work that it's done. He talks about the fact that the city has completed a total of $15.6 million in preservation and open space projects. Uh, of which the city leveraged a total of $7.2 million of state and private funds, which he says by any standard is a healthy return on investment. He talked about some of those particular projects. Uh, he gets into the four-year mayoral term, and as he mentions, the process of getting that 
changed from two years to four years, went through the process of citizens collecting signatures to get it placed on the ballot. And he says if the council wanted to do that, they had the uh, if any individual councilors wanted to do that, they had the opportunity to do it the same way by collecting the signatures of the people to get it placed on the ballot. Um, and then when he, he gets really into the rent stabilization and uh, and his as he mentioned on the show yesterday, he said that he is actually getting calls. Uh, this is the direct quote from his letter. In the past week, my office received calls from real estate developers who have said even the publicity surrounding the council's vote this month gives them and their colleagues pause about investing in New Bedford. So his, his, letter, here, his letter here recommends that if you are serious to the council about pursuing rent stabilization or any form of rent control, you need to have the developers and, and landlords as part of the conversation. And, uh, and he points out again what he mentioned to us yesterday, that the city's Department of Housing and Community Development is finishing up a comprehensive housing plan based on input from public hearings in the past several months, along with that of city councilors, developers, and other businesses, and that it will be released later this month. So we'll talk more about that when that comes out. But So that's the mayor's language in his letter. That's him letting you know how he feels about it. Uh, let me give you the response from Council President Morad. Again, she said, my colleagues and I will have more to say as a body in the next few days regarding the comments made in the mayor's veto letter that was received by our office late yesterday afternoon. However, the overall, and it was yesterday. I, I just said yesterday. She said late this afternoon when she sent this to me yesterday. I'm just, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm probably confusing you more by trying to explain. However, this is Councilor Mor- Council President Morad's words. However, the overall message of the veto letter is degrading to the council's role in city government. The comments are demeaning to the work that my colleagues do in earnest every day on behalf of the residents. And the accusation that the council was in violation of open meeting law without any evidence to support that accusation, excuse me, is very unfortunate. I had hoped that some progress has been made in the past several months on mending the rift that has existed for several years now between the city council and the Mitchell administration. The unfortunate tone of this correspondence certainly diminishes that hope. So a a strongly worded response to the mayor's strongly worded letter. The mayor is making, you know, his feelings known that he, he questions where is this work getting done? Where was the background work done into putting uh, out these questions and tosses out the possibility that there could be or at least that it creates in people's minds, which is true. We've taken phone calls about it for the past couple of weeks that people are concerned that things are happening behind the scenes and not in front of the public. So the mayor's accusation there and I guess, you know, if you want to get semantical about it. It's not so much an accusation as it is a, a suggestion. But as Council President Morad took it, you know, it, it is it is an accusation. And she says that that is demeaning toward the work that they have done. And we'll have her tomorrow when she comes on. You know, we can we can see if we can get a little bit more in depth with how that process came to be about those those uh, those conversations. Because I'm sure there were more conversations than just what happened in that meeting. And I'm not saying that those conversations happened in, in, a, in a way that they shouldn't have. But I'm sure that there was more discussion about them than just what happened in that meeting in order for them to go forward with putting them on the ballot. But we will, um, we'll see if we can get a little bit more 
explanation on that. But if you want to read the complete letter in its entirety, it's there at WBSM.com. Uh, we, I just tried to take out some of the highlights for the story. Uh, I was a little bit against the clock because I wanted to get it posted before they talked about it on uh, South Coast Tonight. And I did reach out also to Councillor Burgo um, to find out, and I didn't hear back from him. I'm sure it's because they're going to have a, a more comprehensive uh, full council response, as, as Council President Morad put, pointed out. So he's probably you know declining to speak on it individually. But I had reached out to him because of the way that the mayor um, characterized the rent control question, the rent stabilization question. Uh, I didn't, I think it was Councillor Gomes, if I believe that, that put forward the mayoral question. I didn't reach out to him over that because we're going to hear a lot about that coming up. That's going to be a major topic of discussion over the next, you know, eight months. That's going to be something that will, was it eight months? No. Four, four months. Five months. Uh, ten, four, six months. Math was not my strong suit. That's why, that's why I got into talking for a living. So we'll hear a lot about that topic. There'll be a lot of discussion about it. There'll be a lot of debate about it. And, and I think that that's going to be a hot button issue. We did talk to the mayor yesterday when we, when, when he was here with us. I mentioned, you know, Councilor Burgos, we're characterizing it as a slip, but I, I don't know that it was if he, if he didn't not mean to say it or not when he said that these questions will draw people out to the polls in November. And the assumption being made by pundits, analysts, and hacks like me is that that statement means that they feel like a larger turnout might not be so favorable to a John Mitchell re-election. That'll be interesting to see because we've talked for years about how low the turnout has been, but also how easily the mayor has won. Do you extrapolate that out and say that he will have the same level of success if there's more people? Or do you think there are a lot of people who would vote against Mitchell who just haven't gone out to the polls because maybe they weren't motivated enough, maybe they didn't think their vote would matter enough, but they want to have their voices heard on this topic? Well, I laid it all out for you. I'd like to get your reaction 508-996-0500, or you can hit us up on App Chat on the WBSM app. I think before the end of the morning as well, we'll also talk about Kayla Churchill, who, if you remember, she is the the mom who walked into some of the Freetown Lakeville schools to prove that it could be done um, in what I still think was the wrong way to go about trying to make her point, but... That's you know how she got her name out there, and now she is a candidate for the school committee. And there's some really interesting things going on about her campaign that I want to discuss with you. As Chris McCarthy likes to say, and, and, and Chris talked about it last night with Marcus, and you, of course, can hear the podcast of South Coast tonight by downloading it from the WBSM app or the website or wherever you get your podcast from. But Chris has a saying that he's he's fond of, and and I, I'm going to borrow that from him, that when when somebody does something that undermines their position on something, Chris likes to say, I I have to think that you're not a serious person, and I have to think that Kayla Churchill is not a serious person. 
Um, based on the way that she is running this campaign and the, and the and the social media interactions that her mother is having with people on her behalf, it's I don't um, listen. I, and 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 I don't I don't agree with Kayla Churchill. I don't agree with her stance. I don't agree with her the things that she is fighting for as part of the school committee, uh, as part of uh, wanting to be on the school committee. But this isn't about that. This isn't about disagreeing with her her policy points, disagreeing with her ideological stance. This just has to do with, I don't think that you're a serious person. So we can get into that as well. 508-996-0500. I'm late for a break, though. We'll be back in a few moments. Morning Metal, Little Iron Maiden. Uh, again, 508-996-0500 or hit us up on App Chat on the WBSM app. Uh, we did get an App Chat message uh, during the first segment. Uh, Robert Cabral in New Bedford, has, who, as you know, was a city council candidate for the Ward 3 seat in the preliminary race, says, It is so sad that there is no debate, consensus, and compromise. Such a divide. Way to set an example for us voters. And that, that I wonder how much of this might, might backfire. If the idea of the council going to battle with the mayor, and I might be oversimplifying it by classifying it as that, but if that, if that is what's going on and the goal of that is to try to entice more voters to come out and have a say, to energize voters to come out and, and have a say, it could go the other way too very quickly. It could very quickly turn into people just have apathy about what's going on. When they say, why, why would I go and participate in this election when there's, there's no adults in the room? That's the way that people could end up feeling about this if, if these battles continue. And I think that that would be an unfair characterization. But I could see that being something that would actually keep people from wanting to get out there and take part. So maybe, maybe that's part of the strategy of having those non-binding questions on the ballot. Maybe... The plan is we're going to get into it with the mayor and we're going to get into it to the point that people might think that it borders on the ridiculous. As, as Jack Splane wrote, this might be the year the city council no longer be, is considered a serious body. That might be how far they're willing to push it with the hope of having those questions on the ballot counterbalancing that, that even if things do get to the point where you know, it's such a heated war of words that people get uh, disillusioned by the actual races themselves. The questions will keep them coming back. We'll, we'll get them to come out to the polls. So maybe that's part of the strategy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, coronate. John Mitchell here with this with this statement. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to say that he is 
he is the ruler here and that the council is um, subjugated to him. I'm not. That's not what I'm going to suggest. But the, I just think of the line from Omar from The Wire. You know, you come at the king, you best not miss. So what happens if the council does engage in this war of rhetoric with Mayor Mitchell between now and the election and the mayor is reelected? Should he choose to run? We don't even know that he's going to run. But if he does and he's reelected, what happens then? How do you move past if the plan is to undercut him throughout the course of this year? How do you move past that? Because as, as, as Bob Cabral pointed out in his AppChat comment, you know, this is it's just getting to the point. It's just getting to the point that it's. Uh, it's silly. And I know that the people involved in that might not feel that it's silly. The people might not feel that it is. Yeah, you know, the people involved might feel that it's 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 something that needs to be done. But people on the outside looking in are thinking to themselves, "Oh man, like how much more could this devolve between now and then?" How much more could it turn into a battle of wills, a battle of having two sides just trying to outlast each other in in the public sentiment? So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of, of damage that can be done in people's faith in the system between now and then. It could even be, it could even be that people give up on caring about the city government. Now, we're, of course, not going to let that happen here. We're going to keep discussing it. We're going to keep pushing it. But I could see people getting to the point, and, and certainly we hear it from some callers. I don't think either side has my best interest at heart anymore. It's more about just beating the other side. And whether or not that's true or not, if that becomes a perception, that can be a very dangerous place to have to lead a city from on either side. 508-996-0500. Going to take a break. Be back in a few moments. And welcome back in. So we have some breaking news uh, to share with you. And again, this is something that we just found out thanks to uh, our app chatter uh, who sent the information over, uh, Simon, who had been keeping us up to date on this. But uh, So apparently there was a little bit of a curve in the story. But let me give you the, the breaking news here. And this is reported on the website of the East Hartford School, East Hartford Public Schools, East Hartford Connecticut Public Schools. The East Hartford Board of Education appointed Mr. Thomas Anderson, a graduate of East Hartford Public Schools, its new superintendent of schools at a special meeting on March 22nd. So yesterday, the East Hartford School Department selected Thomas Anderson as the new superintendent of schools. And I have to say, I'm disappointed. Not in him leaving. I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that he was a candidate for other jobs. We know that he was a candidate in Newton. Um, 
I'm not surprised that he's leaving. I am not surprised that he was a, a candidate that was sought after. Uh, of course, he gets to go back to his hometown and help with the schools in, in, in his hometown and the schools that he graduated from. What I'm disappointed in is how he misled me when I reached out to him because the original report that we got was that he was a candidate for the West Hartford superintendent position because apparently both East and West Hartford were looking for superintendents. The original information that we received was that he was a candidate in West Hartford and I reached out to the company doing the search. They basically, in so many words, told me that he was not a candidate. Uh, he got upset when we wrote an article saying that he wasn't a candidate after he told me that he wasn't. He got upset that we wrote that article but didn't bother to mention to me Oh, but I am a candidate in East Wareham, uh, East Wareham, East Hartford. And and I guess, you know, shame on me for not knowing both Hartfords were looking for a superintendent and asking, well, then what about East Hartford? So I guess I guess I should have done that and asked that. But come on. Anyway. New Bedford is going to be in the process of finding a new superintendent of schools and will be behind the eight ball in doing so because Thomas Anderson takes over in East Hartford on July 1st, 2023. So he will be in place for a new school year, but New Bedford is not aware that they will need a new superintendent until today, which means they either have to rush the process of finding a candidate in order to get somebody in that position because this is something that started you know, in December in East Hartford, that's when uh, that's when their previous superintendent resigned or stepped down or whatever the situation was. Uh, but now New Bedford will have between now and if they want to get somebody in for the you know the new school year, July first. So maybe they can stretch that out and, and and hopefully get somebody in place before the fall. More than likely, they'll have to be an interim superintendent while they conduct a search because as we know last time when they found Thomas Anderson they conducted uh, I believe it was a nationwide search and they narrowed it down to a couple of candidates I, I guess I guess if there's one thing that we can learn from this situation have a backup plan be ready <laughs> have a backup plan uh both for superintendent anderson apparently and for the school department i i I don't like the way i understand the way that it plays out i do i understand that you you don't want to tell your current employer when you're looking for a job elsewhere until you've reached the point where you've become a serious candidate for that and i don't know if he told them that i i've i emailed over to uh holly hunt the spokesperson for the mayor and Asked for a comment. Kate's working on a story. I knew Kate would be reaching out for a comment as well, but I, I tried to, you know, get myself in the chain ahead of time so that uh, when the comment does come in, we could share it on air. But Kate is working on a story right now that'll be up at WBSM.com and on the app because, again, we just found out this information. But I hope, like we found out when he was a candidate for Newton, he told everybody involved, uh, you know, school committee and the mayor the mayor who's also chair ex officio of the school committee, but they found out when he was a finalist. I didn't see anything about him being named a finalist in East Hartford. I just see, and, and they don't have to announce finalists in Connecticut. When 
when I was talking to the company that was doing the search for West Hartford, they informed me that it's not like Massachusetts where they can just they can just offer a contract to somebody. They can have everything done internally. They don't have to have it mentioned in the meetings that they've had that they've had uh, final candidates and who's come in for interviews and all that stuff. They can just announce when they've made a hire, and that's what they've done in East Hartford, and it will be soon to be former New Bedford Superintendent Thomas Anderson. So anybody out there in the school department, you're probably not listening to me because you're probably working, but uh, get if you're interested in being the superintendent, get your resume ready because I think there's going to be a heavy emphasis this time around on trying to find somebody internally. Last time you needed an outside person, and that's no offense to uh, Heather Larkin, who was the internal candidate last time. Uh, just w- the way that things had gone down with Dr. Pia Durkin and the way that things had been coming to a head with the, the union and the administration, it just seemed like you needed to have an outside person who wasn't a stakeholder on either side of that to to come in with fresh eyes, to be able to continue the turnaround work that had been done. And and Thomas Anderson came in and did that and did a great job of it. That's why he was sought after for these other positions. But I think now where things have calmed down internally, maybe look at an internal candidate so that you're not concerned about somebody that might just be posturing for themselves to get the next job. And again, to be fair, you know, superintendents last about six years. And, and, you know, that's that's kind of the way that it goes. Um, let's see here. I do have a break I have to take, but I think I can squeeze in this call very quickly. You're next on WBSM. Hey, Tim. How, How are you? Going? Hey, I think that story uh, with the superintendent tells you something else. It tells you you can't trust anyone, you know, regardless of what their title is or anything. All of these people with these fancy schmancy titles, you can't trust nobody. That's what it is. And you said that the, you don't want to tell your... Uh, present employer um that you're looking for other work why not why wouldn't you want to do that because they might fire you before you found other work they might they might say well you know what if you're going to be looking elsewhere then let's just get rid of you before you can leave us well that's uh that's a sign of a crappy leader because a crappy leader would be like hey what do you like how can we help you how can we make this work let's get beyond this like what are your beefs with us? Like, sure, and, and, and in, some, in some situations that can happen for sure. In some situations you can say, hey, listen, I'm not happy and I'm going to be looking elsewhere. I mean, I, I guess it's I guess it's a case-by-case basis, but I'm just saying I can understand why somebody wouldn't want to tell their, their current employer that. I'm not saying that that should be, the, that should yeah, be the, I, the MO every single time. I mean, I'm just going back, I, and I don't recall, I remember calling in about it when he uh, didn't accept the other position that I said he's going to be gone. You know, and and they're oh, you know, I'm happy and so on and so forth. He like purposely misled you. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's okay. Like you could be like, hey, yeah, I'm, you know, I've been seeking other, you know, I need a more more of a challenge. Be upfront. Like the same thing with that uh, Mayor Mitchell letter. I saw nothing wrong with it whatsoever. I guess it's how you how different people and how their mood is in the day is how they perceive something. That's why I hate emails. That's why I prefer a text message. I prefer to call because people interpret things based on how they're feeling at that time. I thought that letter was awesome. It was direct. He explains why he feels the way he feels. Yeah, maybe he didn't have to say, you know, throw in that um, they're having meetings and all that, but he provided facts. He was like, hey, you guys met for this amount of time. How were these conversations had? Those are facts. Now, unfortunately, 
um, you know, how uh, Miss Morad responded, you know, that's disparaging or whatever, you know, she took it up a notch. So that's how I feel about that situation. It's like, I, I don't, honestly, I don't really see or feel that anything was wrong with the letter. She stated facts. This is how I feel. It was upfront. It was direct. Miss Morad's response to it was also upfront and direct, but it shows who was feeling some type of way. You know what I mean? Well, I think so, yeah, um, I think I think both sides were were a little bit um, pissed off about it. Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's the way the mayor kind of worded the letter was, you know, direct, and he gave examples, and maybe he threw in like you know a little a little jab real quick, but it wasn't like, this is disparaging, blah, 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 blah. Like, it just kind of shows where everybody's at, you know what I mean? Um, but again, these are people with titles that run our community, and, you know, we need to, like, look at all of this and be like, is, are these the people that we want making our decisions for us? And at the end of the day, that's what all of this is about. Sure. I just got to hold you there because I'm up against the break, but thanks for the call. Yes, you got it. And uh, we'll take our final break. Be back in a few. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.